Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. In this week's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with eating disorder dietitian Zoe Davis. Zoe now specialises in mental health and eating disorders, and so we talk together as she is a sports dietitian about sports, exercise, disordered eating, eating disorders, and a whole host of other things. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I can hear you very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How was your Sunday? Yeah, it was good. I feel like I don't know where it's gone. Like, I haven't done anything with it. (laughs) I, like, woke up and I was like, right, I'm going to do some scrapbooking. And then went to the gym and came back and did some scrapbooking. And now it's six (laughs) (laughs) o'clock. Sounds like a very relaxed Sunday. (laughs) Very relaxing. Yeah. How's your Sunday been? You had birthday celebrations. Yeah. Well, it was my birthday on Friday. So I was just... um... Mm -hmm. I was just up with some friends. We have like a bit of a birthday weekend because it was my other friend's birthday today. So it was very nice. Yeah. It was just, uh, yeah, lots of food and <laughs> wine. <laughs> nice, Fun. nice. <laughs> so it was good. Yeah, exactly oh, what I good. needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this on your birthday weekend. Um, hopefully it won't, won't ruin your weekend too much. Um, yeah. I wondered if you wanted to start by just maybe sharing a bit about yourself and the work that you do. Yeah, sure. So I am a dietitian. I'm based in Ireland. Um, so I I was I think I've graduated about I'd say it's about 12 years ago now. So I've been working as a dietitian for about 12 years, um, but specializing in mental health and eating disorders for seven years. Um, and I've been kind of working as a freelance dietitian for the last um, few years. Um, so providing kind of, uh, I suppose, private services to individuals with eating disorders mostly. And, and then also working privately for the HSC, which is our kind of health service here in Ireland. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing over the last uh, number of years. Amazing. And what kind of led you, you said you've been doing this for a while, but for seven years you've been doing it in the mental health area what was it that made you think I'm going to move from dietetics to the mental health side of things yeah I think it's a good question for me I think it happened kind of organically um I was working in an area of dietetics called whole mental feeding and basically that uh, is working with individuals who require kind of long-term feeding through tubes and because maybe they've had something like a stroke or um, motor neuron disease or something like that, which um, means that they can't kind of eat orally. Um, So I was doing that work for some time and I really enjoyed it. It was very rewarding work, very interesting work, but I kind of realised that you know, I kind of went into dietetics to to work with food and to use food, um, you know, to support mm. people to to improve their health and well-being. Um, but in home mental feeding, you're using kind of um, prescribed products, so like pharmaceutical products, like supplements and tube feeds. Um, and although it has its place, I was just kind of maybe it wasn't suiting kind of what I wanted to do as a dietitian. Um, so yeah, a job just kind of came up in mental health um, and eating disorders, and, and I went for it. Um, I think there's. Also, you know, my present experience as well with mental health and, you know, through my father, my father kind of struggles with his mental health. And I think that probably, you know, definitely led me to have kind of more curiosity and interest, you know, within the area. Um, Mm -hmm. So, 
I think that also kind of serves me as well. You know, as a dietitian and at the moment as a practitioner working in the field, having that kind of personal experience, you know, I think it allows me to be, you know, compassionate and more understanding because I've kind of had a, you know, lived experience of, of living and supporting someone with, um, you know, their mental health. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, whether it's yourself or somebody that you love that's very close to you having that experience to then bring that into kind of the work that you do. It's, is yes, the unique element, I yeah. think, um, which is really nice for the people that you're working I with. I think so. I think it, for me, it wasn't really an intentional thing. You know, I didn't think that when I was, you know, training as a dietitian or even over my years of, of working as a dietitian, that that was a, an area I was going to go into. I think you know, it just happened kind of that way. Um, but I think actually now I, I've realised it, it does really serve me and it's an area that I'm so passionate about, I think, because of those personal experiences as, as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so how did you go, I guess it's like another kind of, you know, narrowing it down further. How did you go from the mental health um, kind of aspect of things to then eating disorders and the kind of sports dietitian. Yeah, so I think the roles that I've I've had as a dietitian, they've been mental health dietitians and that kind of covers both areas. So, you know, when I worked in an inpatient setting, you'd have kind of the eating disorder ward, but then you'd have the kind of general kind of mental health ward as well. And that's as well with my current work, um, you know, for for the HSC, you know, it would be both sides. So it kind of comes under the umbrella. Um, I think most of my clinical work Mm -hmm. is working with individuals with eating disorders such a need and um, for that um, and I suppose they'd have a you know higher priority as well in terms of kind of risk so um, most of my private work would be working with individuals with eating disorders um, I think the sports thing has come kind of later on um, that uh, I suppose is inspired by my own kind of I suppose joy and love for sport um, I was a competitive swimmer as a teenager so I was always quite sporty kind of growing up um, and then stopped it for a good amount of time and then kind of and came back into sport when I moved back to Ireland four years ago so um, I think it was inspired by my you know past experiences as a sports person as a teenager uh, and then also as you know my current involvement in sport as well and um, I think that's what got me into the sports nutrition. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong but was it when we spoke last time you said about you'd had an injury or something and you had to sort of rebuild your relationship with food and that or like you know your relationship with food and exercise and that was something that sort of inspired the work with this yeah I got the injury kind of I suppose during my master's and so I got an injury um earlier this year um and yeah I think Mm -hmm. it I suppose uh, it's more that I suppose it was an interesting thing as a, as a dietitian to have that injury and to kind of have to then look more at my food and look more at my you know my uh, exercise and I, I wasn't able to do sport for for a number of months so I think it was another kind of good you know lived experience I think that I'll be able to help um, other people with in the future because I kind of went through you know how difficult and challenging it is to you know cope with an injury and you know I think physically and, and mentally as well if you're doing a lot of sport and then you have to stop all of a sudden it can be really challenging. Um, so I think that's uh, something that was really difficult over the last uh, number of months. But I think it will help me as a dietitian, you know, when I'm working with sports people in the future, because I'll have that understanding of, you know, the challenge that people are faced with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's really nice that you've got that understanding as well, because, you know, like you said, um, when someone is injured, it's for then a very difficult thing maybe to shift, you know, your food and your exercise and stuff. It was for somebody 
with an eating disorder that I imagine will be even more difficult because their their exercise mm. and their food is such a big element of kind of their self-worth. Um, and I guess like with that in mind, I think one thing we were going to talk about today was excessive exercise. And I think, you know, in, injury can link into that a lot. Um, so what sort of from your perspective of the things that you've um, doing your master's, when somebody is excessively exercising, what impact can can that have? We can think about this this term. I don't know if you've heard of it um, called low energy availability. Um, so basically, it's like this state where there's not enough mm-hmm. energy kind of going in to meet the kind of basic uh, functions of the body. So that's to meet our kind of basal metabolic rate, which is kind of, you know, the minimum amount of energy our body needs to function at rest. So that's for functions like our um, cell production, respiration, um, you know, digestion, all these kind of um, functions and um, circulation, these kind of vital functions that our body needs to, to survive. So when we're in a state of low energy availability, there's not enough energy coming in, um, which uh, you know allows those functions then to, to not work properly. Or it can happen if you're maybe over exercising and not taking in enough energy to kind of balance that, that exercise. What happens is, you know, if that's kind of... Um, if that's over a longer period of time, so if there's a consistent uh, intake of, of low energy or if you're over-exercising, then it is going to have kind of effects on the body. So kind of physical and psychological effects. So there's numerous effects. It, it's kind of a multi-system effect um, ranging from impacts to from, you know, menstrual cycles, or hormones uh, to bone health um, to impacts on the heart function, uh, respiratory function, um, digestion. You know, it's a broad spectrum of, of things in terms of physical health and then also the psychological health as well. And um, so, you know, we know that it can it re- it, in terms of athletes and um, it can result in this uh, syndrome called REDS, which is called relative energy deficiency syndrome, and um, which is like you know, the state of low energy availability that causes this kind of um, multitude of kind of physical um, issues that happen. And then as well as the physical implications, it can also obviously impact on performance if um, someone has, um, uh, if someone's an athlete in kind of training. So there's the two kind of sides to it where their health is affected, um, but also the performance side is affected too. Yeah. And it's a double-edged sword, isn't it really? Because people kind of have that, drive to maybe lose weight or to you know some sports require you to be at a low weight or something like that Mm. but at the same time that's really affecting your performance so I think my kind of question from that is we understand that in order to perform well you need to eat an adequate amount but Mm. how do you know I think that's that's a good question I think a lot of people underestimate you know what an adequate amount is I think um Mm-hmm. I suppose if you're unsure, you can get support and guidance from someone like a nutritionist or a dietitian. But, you know, everyone's needs are different. So, you know, it's difficult for me to say, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, what what your requirements are without kind of doing an assessment with you. And even that can be, you know, skewed with different, um, you know, miscalculations mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I suppose uh, everyone's needs are going to be different. And, um you know, it's hard for sometimes for people to determine what the adequate amount is. So if someone's doing a high level of sport, I'd always be kind of, I suppose, prompting them to, you know, engage with someone like a sports nutritionist so they can get that right advice. And because I think you're quite right uh, in terms of like that sport area, there is this kind of culture of, you know, having a low, you know, and you know, fat body composition or high muscle mass. And, you know, there's such misconceptions around that. And, 
and often for sports people when I work with sports people you know that can be the the thing that they come wanting to do is is to you know change body composition and, and they're not kind of I suppose mindful of the impact that that can have on performance so it's just about you know dropping weight or dropping fat but they're not actually cognizant of the mm-hmm. fact that that if they do that too much uh, it can have a, a significant impact on performance a negative impact on performance yeah and I find it really interesting because I think I think we are aware that of the negative impact that it can have on performance but there's still that that drive yeah. for that low body weight and almost a normalization of kind of you know being able to perform uh, at your best whilst kind of you know not gaining weight or not kind of eating more than mm. you you know maybe deem necessary like where do you think that normalizations come from in terms because I I don't know I can't imagine that maybe there is because it's just like a broader thing of society in terms of like l- the lower the weight mm-hmm. i mean the you know there you know i suppose it depends on the type of sport um but there there is some evidence to suggest that to suggest that you know a certain you know level of body you know lower body fat may you know be beneficial for for sports to so say like a gravitational sport like you know cycling or something but i suppose there's a fine line between what could be beneficial <clears throat> and then what becomes harmful so i think um you know it's it's something that's mm within the culture of sport um where as we said where um you know there's there's often a drive to to manipulate body composition or, or reduce weight i think i think it's about you know trying to change that culture within the sport so um you know trying to educate people on um uh, you know i suppose the implications of it the risks of it and and really working towards changing the overall culture because i think even within certain sports for for example like you know dancing or ballet or um even cycling itself or endurance sports like long distance running or triathlon there is this culture um, or even like you know weight category sports there's a culture of having lower being less and um, so you know it's it's really really about education and screening and truly trying to promote and um, the fact that that's not always the best thing for people yeah undoubtedly i think you you're right i um I used to do powerlifting and like the first time that I did a competition it was you know I was sat just above a weight category and it was automatically well you're obviously cutting down then aren't you and it's like why can't I just be at the weight that I am and this is my first competition ever um but yeah it's that normalization of you know if you can just get yourself to a little bit of a lower weight then you'll be lifting heavier weights than everybody else yeah you know they're thinking about the moment you know and often they're not thinking about the long-term impacts and you know we know that disordered eating uh, you know more so than eating disorders is widely in sport um, and mm. the increased risk of developing an eating disorder if you're experiencing disordered eating you know it, you know it's higher if you're experiencing disordered eating so there's more of a chance of you actually developing an eating disorder so uh, yeah i think um we need to be educating people on that and, and the risks associated with that because i don't think people realize that it's almost like people don't know that those behaviors that they're engaging in are disordered you know these kind of practices they just think that it's um part of the culture because it's been mm-hmm. being so normalized you know and um, so for example like you're saying the weight category sports it's so normalized to to cut weight before you know um, a competition to get into that lower weight category and um, so that's part of the culture and i think it's really about trying to work towards changing the culture and mm-hmm. um, because the consequences can happen within the moment so there are short-term consequences but also the long-term implications of that and um, 
you know, even for people developing, you know, a poor relationship with food, you know, often, you know, you know, there's some evidence that, you know, showing that weight category um, individuals, you know, develop things like binge eating because, you know, they've restricted their intake so much and then later on they might binge after a competition. So, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of embedding this kind of poor relationship with food and um, that just grows over time, you know, um, and it has like long term implications then for health and, you know, physical and psychological health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about binge eating because I was watching um, the, oh God, what was it called? I can't remember the name of it. It's like At Home with the Furies or something, but it's the Tyson Fury documentary, <laughs> which actually I I didn't think I would enjoy it and I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but one thing that I found interesting was Tommy Fury, um, Tyson's brother, was also doing a boxing match and he needed to make weight for the match. Um, and so for eight weeks he mm. had been on like a really strict diet and then after the match he was like I just can't stop eating like I like because my body's been under restriction like I just I cannot stop eating um, and I thought like it was an interesting concept because he, he'd completely normalized that because he's grown up with boxing mm. and you know cutting weight for a competition is just what he kind of does and, and I don't know but from the way it was on the documentary he didn't seem overly phased by the fact that he couldn't stop eating but I imagine for a lot of people if you are in that restrictive state and then you come out of that and you can't stop mm. eating mentally you know if that was me personally I'd find that really challenging that's kind of the body's response following restriction, you know, so, so it can be a common thing, you know, even for people that experience eating disorders, if they're more experiencing mm-hmm. like a restrictive eating disorder, you know, sometimes they can end up binging later on because it's that kind of, um, you know, the body's been in restriction for so long. You know, it's like kind of like a response. I think when the brain understands and knows that there's food mm-hmm. coming in on a consistent, regular basis, then it then it feels safe. And then that kind of tends to, to drop down. And if someone's managing to have a consistent intake and, you know, managing activity levels, you know, that tends to, to go away. Um, but it's, it's, it, is, it can be a common thing where people do tend to binge because of that restrictive element, you know, and um, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it can be something that kind of comes up for people. And I was just thinking then when you were saying about like we need to educate people um, about sort of like ensuring that they're eating enough and and disordered eating and ensuring that doesn't lead to an eating disorder. And I think like I don't know what goes on in sort of like semi-professional or, you know, professional sports Mm. and stuff, but I can my perspective there would be that that would be the coach's role to educate their coaches and stuff like that. But I'm just thinking about more like the general population because like if I think about my gym environment mm-hmm. like I'm sure there are a lot of people there that just found a program online and potentially have gone from not doing any exercise to exercising and now they've not changed their diet they're probably mm-hmm. in a calorie deficit but not realizing the impact that that's going to have you know as dietitians it could be mm-hmm. you know targeting gyms and going working with gyms to you know do education with you know, personal trainers in the gym or something like that. And that's something that I actually have been thinking about doing. And because I think even if you're in the gym yourself, you can see the things that are going on in there that might not be so um, helpful um, for people. And so I think, so yeah, I suppose um, dietitians and nutritionists targeting gyms to to maybe provide that education and and training. But I think um, it's almost like, you know, gyms are also even not aware of some of those issues. You know, they're not aware of, of things going on. So it's not like they would be, you know, taking that responsibility to try and you know approach a dietitian or a nutritionist typically because they're not really maybe aware of of the the dangers or the risks I think. Do you think they have a responsibility in that? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, particularly if someone um, is restricting and over-exercising and, you know, they've, you know, their body weight has dropped and there's kind of those physical risks that are that are kind of um, present, I think for sure they definitely have a responsibility. Um, I mean, they might say otherwise, but I, I would say that they, they do. Um, I know when people are, you know, going to the gym, they're adults and they're making that decision and choice to go mm-hmm. there. Um, but I definitely think there needs to be kind of more screening or, um, you know, discussion with people before they start you know, using machines and using the gym in, in that way. Um, and I think certainly, you know, there should be training with personal trainers and things like that, because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're there on a day to day basis in the gym. They're they're doing one to ones with people. Typically, personal trainers will have some, you know, you know knowledge of nutrition but I mean it's not very specialist um, and uh, often they can give you know inappropriate advice to people so I think it's about working together you know with with personal trainers and people at the gym to to provide the right education and training and um, so that they they give the right advice and support people in the in the best way. I'm, I'm kind of like oh I don't know what level of responsibility the gym has um, I think from my perspective maybe having a sign up saying like you know are you struggling to have a rest day or like you know are you confused about your nutrition things like that just so that people have somewhere to go in case they are struggling um because I feel like it would be difficult or yeah, it, of course yeah I think it would be unfair to put that on the sure. gym like you have to spot the people and also you know you can't see that everyone has an eating disorder so it could be the case that you know and and somebody could lose weight and be doing that for a health reason. Somebody else could be engaging in really disordered behaviours. But I do think that personal trainers have a responsibility because personally, I've never had a personal trainer. But like, you know, you, I've seen them in the gym and, uh, you know, see the chats that they have. And often they're having like, you know, people really like they trust their personal trainers and they tell them a lot of things so you know that would be a, I think a great opportunity to mm. check in and say you know how are you finding this and you know, how yeah. are we pushing you too hard or like what's the balance um how are you finding your t- nutrition and stuff and then to you know be able to support them with that and to not kind of expect gyms to um spot people in that way they have a responsibility to have a balanced view of of you know in you know their attitude towards nutrition or exercise within the gym so you know the stuff that they have on posters or that kind of thing I feel like you know typically in gyms it's all driven towards weight loss and you know cutting and restricting you know so that it's not so balanced Um, so I think they have an attitude in that sense to to maybe provide more of a balanced um you know information yeah. <laughs> to people yeah because not everybody at the gym is there to lose weight absolutely not no people are going to the gym not only, you know, not to be just constantly, you know, wanting to lose weight because a lot of people are there to lose weight and it would be, would be good to, the, you know, to get to a point where people are just there for improving their mental health and there to kind of, you know, improve their mood or, or whatnot and not, it had not been driven by, you know, body image and, and kind of, you know, numbers going down on scales. I think that would be a good place to get to. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And to find something that you enjoy as well. Like I often think people think that the gym is just about going in and like lifting heavy weights or like running on a cardio machine for an hour. Um, And there's so much more that you can do and you can find things that you enjoy. But also, you know, in order to have a healthy lifestyle, you don't even need to go to the gym. There's so many different forms of physical exercise that you can do. And and that will make you feel good. You know, if the gym is in the space that you feel good. I kind of wanted to speak a bit more about the eating disorder side of things. 
and just kind of I guess speak about exercising and I know that everybody will sort of be different so we'll just caveat that beforehand when you're working with clients do you have sort of like a a timeline or like a guide in your mind of when it might be suitable for them to return to exercise if they've stopped exercising you talk about from the outset so I suppose exercise isn't isn't always part of everybody's eating disorder and you know when it is a part definitely it's something that you need to talk to someone about and, and explore you know what they're doing um I think um and like you said there at the start everyone is different and um, so you know it, it's really hard to kind of almost like say a, a broad sense of what you do um but I think first of all it's exploring you know what the person is doing and depending on you know their physical um status you know so I suppose when we're working with people with eating disorders you know the first you know and foremost thing that we're thinking about uh, as dietitians or practitioners is, is about risk and um, so you know if someone's physical health is is deteriorating because maybe they're losing weight or even if they're not losing weight you know they can still be at, at physical physical risk and um, if this changes you know to their heart function or you know different things like that then um you know we'd be definitely telling people not to be exercising um uh, or if they were struggling with that definitely you know advising to, to be reducing and, and moving towards stopping um so i think it, it really just depends on kind of where someone's at and, and the risk and um, but certainly you'd be looking at that at, at the start and um, so thinking about risk and um then you know I suppose typically people will find stopping if they're exercising already, they'll typically find stopping really difficult. Um, so, you know, if someone was really adamant that they that they couldn't stop um, you know, I would kind of explain the risk. But then if they were kind of saying that they couldn't stop, then you'd be trying to support them to reduce it or change it in some way to kind of reduce that risk further. Um, and then obviously advising them to to link in with the GP and their team um, to to be able to manage the risk. Um, so yes, I think you know it's it's always a conversation that you're having with someone um about activity, uh, and mm -hmm. for sure it it is something that sometimes as dietitians we have to encourage people or you know advise people to stop because of the risks, and then introducing it back in then is a kind of a different you know a, a different approach I suppose as well. So there's different things to consider when you're starting to bring it back in. If if someone wasn't at a physical risk, let's say, but they came, but you kind of you know explored their relationship with exercise and they said I, I just can't stop in that kind of scenario would it be a case of supporting them with stopping exercise because obviously they're not at a physical risk but mentally I think that can be so overwhelming and can really halt somebody in their recovery so for sure I think any kind of you know obsessive thing that someone's doing that you know affects their you know their relationship with with food or exercise then yes um you're going to be supporting them to 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 reduce it and stop it because I think ultimately you're looking at that relationship with exercise and if someone's over exercising and it, it's getting in the way of their social life or you know they're going out exercising in the rain or you know they're not fueling that exercise so they're maybe their physical health you know is the same but they're not actually eating sufficiently you know that's not a positive healthy relationship with exercise so you have to kind of get them to kind of pull back from it and um, or even stop it in some cases to then get them back to a place where they can be healthy and bring it back in in a healthy kind of managed and um, you know uh, way you know for them to improve that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And when would you say would be the right time? For Getting all of the balance in, you know, having a wide variety of food, you know, <laughs> being open to adding in additional nutrition. So you know, if they're doing moderate to intense exercise. 
they will need additional nutrition on those days that they're doing that activity. So they need to be, you know, willing and open to be taking on board extra nutrition on those days. So that's really, really important. And um, I think also, um, you know, the the kind of the, the the physical side as well. So making sure that you know that their their weight, if their weight had dropped, that their weight is kind of up to a more of a healthy level. And um, you know, for for their body. Um, because there's risks when you're exercising at a lower weight um you know um if there are you know we wouldn't typically you know stop um or you know uh tell someone that they can't be exercising if their menstrual cycle hasn't you know returned back but you know you would hope that you know the menstrual cycle will be coming back you know within a, a few months or a month of starting to to kind of do exercise again so there's those kind of physical aspects that you'd be looking at so first thing is really are they getting enough in and then thinking about the physical side like like the weight or the hormones and what's kind of going on in the body yeah absolutely and I think it's just it's so important isn't it to make sure that you are a, yeah. a, at a place where you know not only physically your body is able to exercise but mentally as well like I know personally throughout my recovery like exercise has been something that has not stopped for me and I almost you know I question how mm. productive that's been because it's still the thing that has got the grasp on me um but because I was never in a physically mm. compromised state it wasn't something that I needed to stop but then that almost makes you think oh well I'm okay to keep exercising then because I'm not you know comprom like you know physically compromised or whatever and I think then that that builds that um personality around the exercise and I don't know whether you've had experience of this but I know for me that when I've not really been engaging in like the anorexic behaviors it's okay for me to eat because I'm still exercising like we call it kind of bouncing over to another behavior and the, the exercise can be part of it I think you know when when exercise is part of your eating disorder and you have you know you're in a recovery mm -hmm. mindset I think it's really important that you're honest about your your relationship with exercise and if that means that for a period of time that you have to stop for you to develop and improve your relationship with exercise then that's going to be beneficial for you you know whether you are or you are not physically compromised it doesn't really matter you know it's it's about that relationship and you know the hold that that's having over your life if you're only allowed to have your lunch because you know you're going to the gym later or having a run you know that's not a positive positive relationship with food or exercise so you know you need to be able to eat that sandwich and yogurt uh, and manage you know throughout the day you know and and cope with those feelings that might come up from having that meal and um, without kind of responding you know to that stress or anxiety with exercise you know so it's really hard because you know I do loads of sport I know the benefit of exercise we know that the, the way it improves our mood and makes us feel good so obviously when someone has an eating disorder they, they do want to improve their mood and feel better but it can't be initially I don't think through exercise um, or at least it has to be you know slowly introduced they have to almost find something new to to help improve their mood or boost their mood in the interim you know and you know if they're a sports person then you're, they're going to be bringing that more in you know you know probably in a more consistent way if they're just kind of you know a recreational you know um activity person then that would be a bit different but it's finding some other things i think which are going to kind of bring you joy in the in the in the interim you know whilst you're trying to manage and deal with that relationship i think yeah absolutely and I think that's that's one of the things that I 
personally really struggled with was finding joy outside of the exercise and just simple things like you know I'd go for a walk with my mum but then that walk became Mm. a compulsive walk because I wasn't doing the other exercise and it it very quickly just closes in on everything and everything becomes that compulsive exercise but then you know for me having activities that weren't kind of that didn't involve a little bit of movement felt too overwhelming so it's really finding that balance um and like you said I really like that in terms of like being able to sit after a meal you know rather than Mm. getting up and going for a walk after you've eaten you know they're in the habit of responding to that stress Mm. or guilt or fear anxiety with movement whether it's getting Mm. up and going for a walk or just getting up and going out to the gym so you you know we need to work towards changing that habit and trying to soothe yourself in different ways which is really really challenging for people but it, but once you start to do that and you do it consistently then then it does kind of improve and settle um but it's practicing that and applying that and trying to change that kind of reactive behavior of like i'm feeling bad and i'm going to go walking it's like trying to kind of manage that in some way um that's different you know to support you better yeah the really interesting i think i found as well was uh, like you said, you know, a lot of people, it, it's not something that just kind of happened two months ago. And then, you know, it's something that's maybe been going on for a while. Um, for me, I remember when I first went to my therapist and, and she was like, yeah, I think you, you know, you are a compulsive exerciser. And I think you've got an issue with exercise. And I was like, no, I don't. And she was like, OK, can you have a day? Like, does exercise make you feel better? Um, like, do you have to exercise in order to feel fine? And I was like, no, that's not why I exercise. And it took ages for me to realize that I was no longer using the exercise to feel good. I just was in such an automatic Mm. routine that I was terrified if I don't do the exercise, then I won't feel like, you know, this normal level. It wasn't, you know, people would talk about this like endorphin high or whatever. And I'd be like, I do not get that. But it would become, I was so worried about the anxiety it would provoke if I didn't go because it had been going on for so long that that made it Mm. almost like a double thing to combat because it wasn't, it was the anxiety before the exercise, before it even started. Mm. Um, So then it was that fear of the unknown of what will happen now. So I guess just to sort of round us off, um, you said about kind of, you know, being able to soothe yourself um, using other things rather than exercise. Um, and I always like to sort of, you know, give some tips and advice to people. And obviously everyone is different, but do you have any tips for people to self-soothe rather than leaning on to exercise? I think it's about being open, you know, to, to some things, you know, um, you yeah. know, I said to you already, Hannah, that I'm, I, I teach yoga and meditation. So I'd be a big advocate of those things um, in, you know, different mm. forms. So I'm not saying that, you know, if you're not used to meditating, then, you know, go out tomorrow and just sit on a cushion and try and meditate, you know, it has to be the, the right type of meditation and, um, you know, the, the right style. Um, but I think certainly I would I would promote those kind of things because, you know, meditation or breath work or mindfulness or just gentle restorative slow yoga or Tai Chi, you know, they have this benefit of kind of, um, you know, supporting our nervous system. So, you know, tapping into that kind of parasympathetic nervous system where we're grounded and relaxed and, you know, we can kind of, you know, have our rational mind coming in. Um, typically when someone's, you know, post a meal or having had like a food that causes anxiety, they're in that kind of fight or flight state. Um, so, you know, meditation, breathwork, yoga, all those things I've said, 
can help someone kind of go back into that sympathetic or parasympathetic place and just kind of um ground you know um after you know that maybe difficult thing so definitely would be an advocate of those things probably a bit biased there um and also i think creative things as well you know so you know coloring or music or art um all of those things are really nice <laughs> you know using your hands um to kind of create things i think can be really helpful and then, you know, you have kind of those other kind of self-care things like, you know, doing your nails or your hair or, you know, putting on a face mm -hmm. mask, you know, things like that, that are kind of really nice things for us to do for ourselves that, um, you know, take us away from maybe thoughts or that kind of thing. No, I think that I think they're really nice ideas. Um, I think, yeah, mm -hmm. it's like finding the right thing. I think finding the right one that suits you um, because the more, you know, you do these practices consistently, the, the more benefit they have for you. And um, yeah, the more you'll find that they can improve your, your well-being, I would say. Well, thank you so much. Um, have a lovely rest of your Sunday. And yeah, thanks for coming up. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.